Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Peony Podcast. My name is Natalie, and today I am joined by the woman who gave birth to me, my mom. Hello there. This is our 12th take, and my patience is running low. How are you feeling? I'm feeling okay. Okay. I had my mom on the last take describe what a podcast episode was. And I would love for you to just do it again, just because I thought it was so good. Well, I watch podcasts because I look for them on YouTube for topics I find interesting. What she had said before was a podcast is a charismatic person. And I thought that was so cute and funny. I would love to ask you a series of slang words. Sure. And have you tell me what that means. What does bougie mean? Khaki? <laughs> Uh, kind of, it could be. I mean, bougie is like just all decked out and like, you're just bourgeoisie. You know, you like nice things. I, I like, you're kind of bougie. Not tacky, but it can be. Okay. Um, what about a sneaky link? I don't know that term. Do you want to know what it means? Yes. A sneaky link is like... <laughs> A sneaky boy that you like go and hook up with that no one knows about. Your sneaky link. You go and link up with him. Clearly, I would not know that phrase. Okay, well, what about ratchet? Ugly? Yes. No. Oh, God, no. No, no. Ratchet Ratchet is more so tacky. Okay. Like, that's ratchet. Okay. And that's it for our Q&A round on Does My Mom Know 2021 Slang Words. So, listen, the reason I wanted to have you on is because... I think I get a lot of my talents from you, uh, my writing skills, my public speaking skills, my refusal to take no for an answer. And I think my audience just thinks I'm so amazing. They had to know where I come from. And you have an interesting story. And I think we should start with Mike, my oldest brother, if you're interested. Sure. So Mike is 40 years old. And when I was very young, 16, I became pregnant. I wasn't using birth control. Yes, I understood that sex caused pregnancy intellectually, but it wasn't something that was discussed in our home. We didn't talk about safe sex. It wasn't a thing. Um, so I got pregnant by a long-term boyfriend, and I actually did go to a Planned Parenthood. I was terrified, as everyone could imagine. I grew up Mormon, and my family was actively Mormon, and... Planned Parenthood offered one scenario, which was an abortion. Um, I said I would think about it. I thought about it, and I decided that I did not want to do that, and I chose adoption. And my thought at the time was, and I still think it's a good process, I said, you know, what's a few months out of my life? And I held on to that philosophy, because it wasn't an easy few months. And I gave birth to my son went through a private adoption through a lawyer. And when I say private, it was still very private. I didn't know the people. I had never met the people. It, it, was, uh, it was all anonymous and so on. And, and I placed him up for adoption. And during that 18 years, you can imagine, you know, it was very painful. Pause. I want to go back over something huge that I feel like you just pushed past. What did grandma think? What did your mom think? What did your siblings think? Did you have friends? In my head, 
I think because of social media right now, if Danielle, my little sister, were to get pregnant, like everyone would know it would be the talk of the town because of social. Like if something got posted, you know what I mean? That's a good point. So, so yes, you're right. That's a good point. So my parents had sold our long time home in Southgate. And we moved out to Orange County, which was a huge change. You know, Southgate is, is just a few a suburb of Los Angeles, and it's a working-class suburb. So, in fact, that's how I became pregnant. Um, my parents had left me in the new house overnight, and they were going home to Southgate. To oh, God. The story. Oh. Well, my long-term boyfriend lived just 15 minutes away from the new house. We were Otherwise, we were an hour and 15 minutes apart. So that's the first time I had sex. That's and why you were so psycho about me. You got pregnant the first time you had sex? The first month, yes. Okay, well, that's honestly just on you. I love you, but come on. Well, so... Sorry, but... Okay, I don't mean that. So, it was a really complex time. My parents were actually... I didn't know it at the time, but the reason that they sold the house is I, they were planning on separating. And I was in high school, but I had young siblings, two young siblings. So, my parents actually did separate. I was in the house with my stepdad and the two young siblings. My brother had just joined the Navy, and my sister had moved out. There were five of us. So here I am now babysitting and taking care of my very young siblings. I think they were like first grade and five. And my stepdad worked at night. So I really had this, this familial obligation to help him. And I also very much loved my younger brother and sister. But the, the challenge was I was hiding a pregnancy. So... I ended up moving out and moving into the home of my boyfriend and his parents, but I did not tell my parents I was pregnant. So that was really difficult because I, I hurt my stepdad. You can only imagine how life became for him. He's a single dad now with two very young children and he worked nights and weekends. So he had to hire somebody, bring somebody in. Our family was falling apart. Um, the father of my son, his parents called my parents and they told my parents I was pregnant. So did they tell you they were going to do that? And you were like, okay, I want you to tell them. Or were they like, Amanda, we cannot. I think that they did tell me that they were going to tell them only because I was going to be living with them long term. And I was 16. Right. And so they had to. <laughs> so my mother was very supportive over the adoption. I have to say, though, my mom got married at 15. People uh, did that. Uh, and she had three children by the time she was 19. I was her third child at 19. She understood the complexity of being a very young mother. And she was very encouraging of the adoption. Um, of all people, my stepdad actually really tried to offer support. Um, I, I wouldn't say he tried to talk me out of it, but he kind of did. Out I, of putting the baby up for adoption? Like yeah. he wanted you guys to keep it and raise it together? Him, he, Mike? He did. He said he would help me. He would get a crib. These are just little things I remember. And he, I remember him saying, that's a little a little brother or a little sister. That's like your, your brother, you know, trying to explain to me, you know, the reality of what was happening. I feel like people back in the day were also just 
like women weren't doing as much as they were now. So fine. If you want to have a baby at 16 and your life is kind of closed off to that, like that wasn't really a concern for everyone. Do you agree? I, I don't really agree. This was 1980 and when my mother had me in 1964, that was definitely the case. Women, that's what they did. So in 1980, girls were commonly going to college. Again, I grew up in an area where that was not a prevalent thing. I grew up in an area where people finished high school and joined the military. They got a job in aerospace because that was near us and that was a big industry at the time. And all you needed was a high school diploma. <clears throat> And also, uh, believe it or not, a union job. There were a lot of factories where I lived. And that's what people aspired for. So I can only speak to my reality where I came from. Again, a very working class neighborhood with a lot of blue collar parents. So my boyfriend, on the other hand, the father of the baby, that was a different world. These kids were going to college. They had cars. They went on vacations with their parents. They were to, yeah, yeah, they went to luxurious trips and cruises and things that, you know, I didn't even think about. It didn't even enter the realm of my reality. So I didn't feel deprived because I didn't know any better. So in any event, um, together the father and I agreed that we would put the child up for adoption. That process began and, uh, and that was it. I have to be honest. I mean, I think that in the back of my mind... I had this fantasy that I was saying that I would go along with the adoption to keep everyone peaceful about my circumstance, but I really was planning to keep the baby. And so fast forward, the baby's born and uh, the adoptive parents, you know, were involved and I was sent home from the hospital and the next day, my son was picked up by the adoptive family, and I decided that I could not go through with it. The pain was just something that, it was like a death. It was something I'd never experienced before. And so I walked across a bowling alley parking lot and used laundry money to use the payphone. There were no cell phones in 1980. And I called the lawyer from a payphone and told him that I had changed my mind. That became very unpleasant. He actually threatened me, threatened to prosecute my boyfriend for statutory rape. He obviously wanted to go through with the adoption. What I didn't understand at the time was a private adoption was kind of like a black market adoption, only it was legal. And what I mean by that is Lawyers back then in 1980 got $30,000, $50,000 from the adoptive family. And having a healthy, full-term baby from a drug-free mother, even back in 1980, was a big deal. And adoption, I'm sorry, abortion was really prevalent. And Planned Parenthood, you know, was available and easy to access. So... I, after the adoptive family had picked up my son, uh, they had to deliver him to me. So I remember my boyfriend's parents coming to the apartment. By now, within days of me having the baby, coincidentally, we were moving into our own apartment. So the parents came over, told us that my son was at their house. I had joy like I've never felt in my entire life. We rush over there. In the course of two or three days, 
with a lot of pressure from my boyfriend, I succumbed to the pressure and I agreed to the adoption. So the adoption ended up going through. The baby was placed with the adoptive family. And then I became a very, very patient person for the next 19 years. And when my son was 19. Nope. You can't get there yet. You skip so much of oh. the good juice. Uh-oh. As a storyteller, you should know this. We'll get to that. Okay. Tell me what you did after. You. What, oh. Did you go back to school? Did you go to college? Tell me about your life. So so none of those things happened right away. And, okay. And I'm, I am glad that you brought that back up because, again, as a grown woman, as a mother... I think back and I'm enraged at what happened, but at the time I didn't realize that I was being deprived of services. So a social worker comes out about three months after my son was born, maybe six months. Because of my age, I was required to wait that long before finding, signing final documents, which was probably a good idea. But that wasn't really explained to me. So I didn't know that in between those six months, I could in fact change my mind. I didn't know that. So the social worker came out. That seems like a terrible rule. That seems like a really, in a, not obviously for you, that's a great, great move. But we have three adopted kids and I know the situation was a bit different because it wasn't by choice that they were put in foster care. But if I adopted three a child from a closed adoption and six months later, the birth mother came back and said, I changed my mind. You damn well better believe I would have a lawsuit slapped on their front door in two seconds. Right. But there would, there would be no lawsuit because it was a risk that you knew going into it that that was the law at the time. That's crazy talk. Yeah. Yeah. That was the law at the time. And it probably still is, you know, and it makes sense because this is a human life. That is it's so inappropriate deal. though. But if, if you've, mm -hmm. If you give in, in my opinion, if you put the baby up for adoption in this new family, six months is a long time. It is. In any event, I, I, I didn't change my mind. Again, I, I don't believe that I understood that I had that opportunity in those six months. In fact, I think I learned of that rule when the social worker came out. So she came out. She was a very lovely lady. I can picture her face today. And to be honest, for the first time during this entire process, from the time I became pregnant, gave birth, the entire process, this is the first person who actually treated me like I was a party to this event. And what I mean by that is she sat me down and asked me a lot of questions about myself, about what I was going to do afterward, where I was going to go, if I needed help. She gave me a business card and said, if you need anything, but I didn't know what that meant. I needed lots of things. I was 16 years old living away from home. I wasn't in school, so I didn't understand what that meant. What could she help me with? What resources could she provide me? So I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what if you need help meant. And I know that sounds hard to believe, but I didn't know about social services. I didn't know what was available to me. And having gone through a private adoption, there were no social workers involved, which I would never recommend. And again, I didn't know my options. So I always say that's the most dangerous place to be in. If you don't even know what questions to ask, you're screwed. Well, and, and you're right. And, and I didn't even know what I didn't know. Right. And so the social worker came out 
my son is six months old and that's the first time I had encountered a social worker, which that's a whole nother conversation. You know, no one at Planned Parenthood helped at all. They, in fact, they didn't even offer me birth control for the future. Um, so I didn't go back there because I didn't feel like that was a resource. And I signed the papers and I remember being really, feeling really heartbroken because it was one paragraph and it referred to my son as baby boy and then my last name. And that's all it was. And it was my signature. So I signed away a human life with nothing more than a two sentence legal document. And that was final. The social worker explained to me that that would be very final, that it would be almost impossible to reverse after that signature. And I understood. So social worker leaves. I never see her again. I did keep her card for whatever reason for many, many years. I think it gave me a sense of security that there was someone there. So I lived with my boyfriend who wasn't very pleasant. And uh, it was like living with a really strict parent. And I used to fantasize about getting away from him. But Fuck I was like that. Yeah, yeah. But I was very young and had no resources and no car, you know, again, no cell phone, estranged from my family. They're estranged from each other. Um, ultimately, you know, as you would expect, we broke up. And of all things, I was 18, but we had been together for years, years. And I ended up in West LA, right off of Fairfax and Wilshire, pretty fancy area. I got a job at an answering service and I took the bus. What's an answering service? Yeah, that's interesting. It's like the old fashioned day where you plugged into a, to a switchboard with the little cord, mm. just like the movies. And you know, we had hundreds of clients with all the boards and and uh, I made minimum wage, which was $3.50 an hour. Oh my God. Yep. I took a bus ride and to Rodeo. I worked on the corner of Rodeo. Oh, and what were you? I was a PBX you were, operator. No, no you were it? a bougie bitch working on Rodeo. So I never visited Rodeo. I worked uh, in a bank building for the answering service. And actually, this is pretty interesting. It was called SOS, which stood for Service of the Stars. And we had lots of movie stars at the time uh, that were our clients. And we had to sign confidentiality agreements. And you'd be amazed what you could hear in that split second before you closed the key. Because back then, they would call the board. You would call their private number that nobody had. And then you would connect their call. And if you open the key and close the mouthpiece, you could listen in. Well, sneaky, sneaky. Do you have any tea for us? Well, I do, but can I say it? Of course. So at the time, this is actually sad. Victoria Principal. Okay. We don't know who that is. Well, she has her big makeup line now, so she's famous for that. But there was a really big show called Dallas. And it's like a, it's like a, uh, what would you call it? It's like uh iconic like, like kardashians yeah like the kardashians just like that okay just like that a cult following okay so she was a huge actress on shows like that and mm -hmm. she did some films well she was dating a much younger man from the Bee Gees. and remember this is 1981 well, so these are by the way yes yes so these are very popular players you know in in the in the uh world of, of celebs uh, celebs so they had broken up and he was in Cedar sinai and he was suicidal. 
and he would call begging to speak to her and she would say oh yeah put him through and in that split second before you close the key she was brutal to him brutal to him and he his psychiatrist would call so that was a big thing that How went on sad and then frankie valley who was even old at the time but he was still popular he apparently met some girl on tour and casually must have said call me if you're ever in town well she was and she did <laughs> and he didn't want to see her and so then another one there was a, a tom Selleck, who you guys know tom yeah Selleck. yeah 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 well he was a real young heartthrob at the time and he was having an affair with a married woman <gasps> foul and the married woman was a physician mm. and she they he had gone off to on a vacation with her and we knew and we had his location, obviously, and hers because she was a doctor. Someone in the service had had leaked this information, and uh, paparazzi showed up at his vacation location somewhere in Europe, and that was a big thing because they tried to figure out who did it because we were the only ones that had the number. <laughs> and then, like, some... was it you? No. Are and you sure? It never even occurred to me, to be honest. I'm it, just it never occurred to me. But then, like, like what you realize about people's private lives and what you see there was a there was a uh, a soap opera actress and she had a young son and she, a five-year-old and she was married to another famous actor i don't remember who his name now but he was a very famous actor and you guys this is really tragic um in a matter of 24 hours they had called asking us to connect them to their private doctor and we did and the messages went back and forth we began to understand that she had a son, her five-year-old son was very sick, and they were in Sweden. Mom, and this were, is all so no, no, sad. But, I, but it's just to show you the reality of what happened. So they were in Sweden, they were skiing, he contracted some virus, she's calling us to call her doctor in America, and you know, we're thinking, not, we're not thinking anything. You know, these are very wealthy people with lots of privilege. And by the time they got to the bottom of the slope to get him to healthcare, he passed away. Oh my gosh. So, okay, okay, but okay. I'm just saying, this is my life. This was a daily Mom, thing. Mom, that is not your life. Well, I worked at the answering service for two years, and this was a one-day event. You see a lot of activity. And I imagine. So there you go. That's a snippet. Okay, thank you for that dark, deep snippet. Ah. Let's get to the sauce. Okay, so I, I leave there, and I move back to Orange County. Fuck yes, thank God. Yes, yes, and uh, and I begin my life as a young woman, and probably at about the age of 22, I meet a trial attorney. He's much older, he's 40. I'm talking to an attorney right now. I've heard. Well, he's not an attorney yet. He's going to be a lawyer. What's the difference between an attorney and a lawyer? Oh my God, it's so funny. I asked that question, and it it, there isn't one. Okay, thank God. Okay. And I asked that same question. Okay. That's funny. You are my daughter. I think. So I'm dating this guy, and uh, we dated for about a year and a half. He was involved in a divorce. He never got one. And when I say he never got one, they never got back together, but he never got a divorce. So... So what do you mean? They were... They were just separated, but legally married? Like forever. Oh, I don't like that, Mom. Me neither. So, so... Obviously, there was never going to be any great romance. He was 18 years my senior, but... And married. Not living together. I would never do that. But he was sophisticated. He lived in Pasadena. And through him, I began to learn a lot about myself. 
and for example he had season tickets to playhouses to the Hollywood Bowl for classical music concerts. He would go on trial attorney conventions and travel to, you know, exotic places. What do we call that behavior? Growing, learning? Bougie, oh, mom. bougie, bougie. We're well, it was a little bougie, yes. I need you to use the slang words. Yes, but, but unlike what you might find today with what people called sugar daddies and whatever. Oh, it, God. It, it, was, it was nothing like that. You know, I worked, I paid my own bills, I paid all my own Did stuff. you? Yeah, I really Sounds did. Sounds gonna ratchet. Well, it would have been just it, it would have been nice, I suppose, if if. Oh hell yeah! Hey, listen, no shame to sugar babies anywhere. I would do it in a. Uh. But let me say this: I think it's a. It shows what my personality was, even at that young age. It would not have occurred to a man that I was attracted to to view me in that light. They didn't see me as a needy. Let me help her. What can I give her? And I Again, didn't look but at men that way. No shame to anyone that is doing that. Hey, does good it... for you. I would have liked it. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're needy or anything. You do you. No, I, it could have helped, definitely. <laughs> so so I'm working, living in a little house. I have a roommate, and uh, I find myself a little 280Z, a cute little sports car. Paid 3500 bucks for it. Paid cash. Saved my money. It's kind of expensive. Uh, it was pretty reasonable back then. And it was used, of course. So anyway, I have a job. I'm working in a security company. I had been there a couple years. The president was really good to me, took me in under his wing. I was very young when I started. And I started to get a little bit bored. Um, I'm dating the attorney, and I'm thinking, now for the first time in my life, I'm wondering, wait, is the attorney the one with the stash? Yeah, I'll tell that story. You have to. Okay. So, but, so I'm dating the attorney, and I know that you know, it's not going to become serious, serious. For example, you guys will appreciate this. Um, during the trial attorney conventions and the traveling, he would introduce me as his friend, Amanda. I would literally claw yeah. someone's eyes out. Yeah. And so everybody knew, but whatever. So should I should I just insert for humor the one Insert event? for humor this iconic forever story, please. Okay, so all my kids know this story. So we're at the... We're in Pebble Beach, and uh, it's cocktail hour <laughs> reception because all the attorneys had just gotten there, and it's like a four-day event. And a waiter comes around with a tray of wine glasses with various, you know, red and white wine. And okay, okay. So, so my boyfriend takes the glass, and... Prior to him drinking the glass, myself and another couple that we were with were all transfixed by this huge, wet, colorful booger hanging on his mustache. People had mustaches back then. Transfixed. It was it was really gross, like eye-watering gross. Stop, stop, stop. And we were all... Nobody wanted to say anything. And what kind of girlfriend was I? Because today yeah, with what my the husband, hell, I'd be like, give me that. But we didn't say anything. So he gets, his, he gets his glass. He drinks his wine. And the booger falls from the mustache into the glass. And it's floating in the glass. He becomes irate, calls the waiter over, says, look at this. This is disgusting. And to this day... None of us ever told him that the booger came from his mustache. Oh my god. It doesn't seem as funny now, but at the time No, I'm sure it was I would have 
been so embarrassed. Oh. I get really publicly embarrassed. Do you? Like, if I saw that, I honestly would have died inside. Yes, like, I felt embarrassed to tell him when I... Anyway, so, yeah, so the booger floating I don't think wine glass at Pebble Beach. Here's what I suggest for everyone who potentially encounters a situation like this in their life. Don't tell them. Perhaps just take a napkin and brush it off. I should have. I should have. That, that way you don't embarrass them. You don't have to say it out loud. And we remove the booger. I think that because I was so young at the time. That, you didn't want to like call him out. Yeah. And I think that if he had done that for me, it would have been gracious. But I would have been so embarrassed that I had it there. I think it's, I thought it's better that he never knows. Oh God. Well, he knew it was in his cup. He drank it. But he didn't think it was his. I know. I oh, that's so disgusting. It was floating. So did you break up with him or did he break up with you? Well, he, he broke up with me because he started, uh, he started seeing his ex-wife again. Goodbye. But wait, we'll talk about it later, but, um, we got back together right before I got pregnant with you and I decided that he was awful and I don't know how I was ever attracted to him because now I'm a grown woman and I'm thinking, I what the hell? Yeah, I wasn't attracted. And now he was ready for marriage and, and all these things, still not divorced, but no relationship with the ex. And no, I wasn't interested. Get a divorce, pal. Anyway, I moved on. I met your, your dad and that was the end of that. Okay. What I really want to talk about Back is, to Mike? no, uh, we're oh. over Mike. We don't care about you anymore, Mike. We love you. No, we'll get back to Mike at one point of the story. But what I want to talk about is where design came in, where construction mm. came in. The title sure. of this podcast is going to be sure. how a teen pregnancy turned into a multi-million dollar business. Okay, so... so I'm the... going to teach you a new term. Do you know what the word clickbait means? No. Clickbait is an exciting, like... Woman eats 300 pounds of pasta, but then she only takes one bite in the video. It's a it's a title to draw you in, and it's become really popular in our day-to-day age because YouTubers will use, like, a very ridiculous title to get people to click the video. I think that that has worked on me numerous times. Okay, well, at least you can acknowledge it now and we move forward. Yes. So, back to this attorney. It, it, this was a This was a pivotal point in my life because I didn't have parents and I left home so young I was still growing and I don't think it's an accident that I was dating someone 18 years my senior so like a parent he exposed me to a lot of things and that helped me to open up and understand more about myself I always knew that I loved literature I was always a reader I was always curious academically and so I started missing this and realizing that I loved my job and I was at the time for my age, I was making good money. I was making $2,000 a month salary with health benefits. You know, this is 1982, 1983. So I thought, but what about the future? And so for the first time in my life, I started really thinking about the future and what I was gonna do with myself. So because I dated this highly educated person, I was motivated by that and I was surrounded by educated people and I wasn't one. And I felt really embarrassed every time somebody would ask me what I did for a living. And back then people would still say, cause I was very young. Oh, so where did you go to college? Well, I didn't. And people fact, still say that all the damn time to me. Well, I hadn't even finished high school. I had left high school in the 10th grade because I was pregnant and I never went back. 
So I decided to go to school. I registered at Cerritos College. I worked all day and three nights a week I went to class. Um, I'm a salaried employee and I'm doing what they call personnel directing. I'm processing hires and for a security company and like HR stuff, I guess. And I was grateful, but I was kind of bored. And so I'm taking classes at school. And for me, it was just general ed classes. Remember, I left school in the 10th grade. Um, and I liked school and I was curious, but I just thought like, Maybe if I could work for a bigger company, something different, I might meet more people. I was a little isolated. I didn't have a lot of girlfriends because I left school so early and I'm working full time. We didn't have social media like you have today. So you didn't have social media in the 80s. <laughs> so there wasn't any way to uh, to really reach out. You had to do it physically. You had to participate, you know, in, in things physically. So in my mind, I thought getting a new job would open up some avenues for me in multiple arenas. So I answered an ad for uh, an administrative assistant to a VP for a pool company. I knew nothing about the industry, but I knew a lot about sales and working for salespeople. My president of the company I was working for used to be a regional sales director and I was the assistant to his assistant when I was 18. Assistant to the regional manager? I was the assistant to the assistant of the regional manager. <laughs> That's a joke from the office. Oh, 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 yes, okay, so so I was her secretary. So in any event, you know, I'm older now and he's promoted me and he's in a new company and he's a president. And so I gave notice. Oh, well, I answered the ad and I got the job. And- What'd you do? You just answered the phone? What'd you do? Oh, you were an no, assistant. I, I was an assistant to a, a sales, a VP of assistant sales. Assistant to- the regional manager. Mom, I'm kidding again. Yes. So so now I'm the head assistant. So I am the assistant to the vice president of sales. I negotiate a salary. It's $200 more than I'm making a month salary plus full benefits. So I give notice and my employer's really sad. They're telling me how the pool industry is seasonal. I'm making a terrible mistake. I should stay where I am. And I'm feeling really insecure. And they tell me, go ahead, take the job. You're not gonna like it, you'll see and you'll be back and you can come back. So I thought, wow, like it doesn't get any better, right? I can come back to my job. So I take the job and I love it. Hmm. And I'm, in, I'm working as support to the sales staff and I'm the assistant to the VP of sales. So I'm there, you know, I don't know what length of time and a couple years and the economy crashes and we're in the middle of a drought and the pool industry is just collapsed. So we are owned by a big company. We're a New York Stock Exchange company and our parent company consolidates, does what big companies do and they move us into the parent company office and, and they start shutting down offices and laying people off. There's no side of relief coming. Again, it's like a two year drought and there's water moratoriums, everything's really bad. And so they are going to be laying off the person who is the operations manager for the construction division. Now, I knew nothing about construction. I didn't know that I had any interest in construction. 
because of the economy and because of the drought and they're making layoffs, they were going to let the operations manager from the construction department go. And this woman had been there so long, she knew Phil Anthony, who started Anthony Pools. He was like an icon. <laughs> and seriously, because it was a national company. So I get called in to the CEO of our parent company. And they owned like at the time, K2 Ski, Shakespeare Fish and Tackle. They were a big conglomerate with 10 companies and we were just one of their companies. And we happened to be in the same building because they moved us in there to save money. So he calls me in and I thought, well, clearly I'm being fired. Why would the CEO of our parent company be sitting down with me? So this is a true story. I come in, Rich Rodstein, he sat me down. And the first thing he said to me was, you're not getting a raise. Your job is your raise. And that was a big lesson for me. Hear that again. You're not getting a raise. Your job <laughs> is your raise. I love that you repeated that for us. He wanted me to know I was lucky to have a job. And that's how we started the conversation. Okay, well, hear this again. He's lucky to have you. Well, yes. Yeah, so because the employee is the value. Yes, and he saw that value. So he said to me, you know, we're doing layoffs. We were going to lay you off. However... The sales team came to us and said, Amanda is responsible for two thirds of our sales from your interaction. And if you lay her off, we're gonna go on strike. So they instead laid off the operations manager from the construction department. And here's what Rich Rodstein said, Amanda, the salesman insist that you can learn her job, but she can't learn yours. Damn. And so I learned her job and I realized that construction was my thing and it was exciting and I couldn't wait to get to work and what I, did you like about it what was exciting about it to you I liked watching the process of creating something from nothing okay I liked the process of seeing it on paper critiquing it on paper and how those lines and numbers became things and I learned that I had the ability to envision all of these things before they even began. I could see the end product. And I thought everybody had that talent. So I began working in construction and fast forward, I'm 28 years old now. I've been there eight or nine years. Um, they give me my own department. I create my own department and it was a remodel division and I was the only female business manager in the entire company nationally. Hey, we like that. Yep, and they had me running two divisions. They, I ran their warranty from the construction department mm -hmm. and I had to keep that and I started the remodel division. So something that might be interesting, I was actually instrumental in creating that department and here's how. We were running a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in the red paying for warranty and in the red means negative correct and so i had the idea as i was ser sending service technicians out to do the warranty repair clients customers that had existing pools would say hey can you install a new heater can you replace my mastic can you do this can you replaster so i very quickly i thought hey there's a market so I convinced the president 
to create a brand new division within our company that we would offer service and remodel to our customers. Guys, within one year, my warranty department was a profit center. I feel like you very naturally have taken on this podcasting. Listen, I want to talk about what it was like working in an all-male dominated field. Was it fun? Was it shitty? Was it aggressive? Was it hard? Did you struggle? Did they bully you? All those things. So in, okay. the, in the beginning, in the beginning at Anthony Pools, um, it was an era where I don't want to say it was accepted, but it pretty much was accepted that women made less money. And for example, mom, it was absolutely expected. Why do you yeah, not want to say well, that? So, so I wasn't disappointed and I wasn't angry because I was just thrilled to have gotten my foot in the door. So here I'm a business manager, the only female, and I'm running two divisions. The male business managers ran one division and made $20,000 more than I did minimum. And I wasn't offended by that. I didn't like it, but I knew that that's the way it was going to be. So I don't like that. And that surprises me of you. Well, that was in the beginning. So I'm working, I'm running my division, I'm doing well. What happens? I get bored again. I decide that maybe there's something even bigger and even better. And building pools was fun, but there's like five phases and I had mastered them. And it wasn't exciting anymore. I wanted to move on. So now I do the same thing I did eight years ago. I start looking at ads. We still don't have the internet, you guys, I'm sorry. Hmm. And we do have cell phones. And I start looking at ads and I decide that I want to go work for a home builder. I want something bigger than swimming pools, something more exciting, something that I have to learn all over again. Okay. So nobody's hiring. And I see that they're looking for superintendents and various things, but nothing that I was capable of doing. So I submit my resume to every company that's hiring, regardless of what the position was. And I tell them what I'm capable of doing. So a couple months go by and I get a phone call from a home builder that is starting a warranty department. And of course, pool warranty and home warranty, completely different, but they hired me. They made me their quality assurance director and I ran warranty for a home builder. Well, doing that taught me everything I needed to know about home building because I learned all the things not to do first. And even though that sounds kind of backward, that education to this day has served me so well. Hmm. Because instead of learning construction, I learned bad construction, if that makes sense. I learned all the things that caused problems and how to do it right. And by the time I left there, I was pregnant with my beautiful daughter sitting next to me and I suffered horrible morning sickness, could literally couldn't drive, couldn't function, and I had to give notice and I left my job. Hmm, and, you're welcome. And after Natalie was born, I decided not to go back to work for, for anyone. And a few years went by and I stayed home with her and nurtured her and made her into the incredible human being she is today. <laughs> and then I decided I wanted to go back to work. So at the same time that I'm going back to work, I decided to go back to school. And in between that, I met Natalie's dad, obviously. We're married. 
he's a physician and a Cornell graduate, Ivy League, and here I am, believe it or not, I still don't have a high school diploma, you guys. Remember, I left school in the 10th grade. I did all this other shit, but I didn't go back to school. So I had taken a few classes at junior college with no high school diploma. So I enroll in junior college and I start my remodel design company. Really, I'm just doing design work, interior design. And I'm ready to graduate junior college. And you guys, I actually got accepted to UCLA into an amazing writing program. I was accepted as an undergraduate. I actually, I'm going to brag a little. I got accepted to every university I applied to. Love that for you. Penn, schools I knew I would never go to, but I applied just to make myself feel good. (laughs) So I accept UCLA. I start school. I finish at UCI. I get my undergraduate degree in literature. My good luck with that degree. But in the meantime, I've got these two wonderful things going on. I'm able to pursue my academic curiosity and study the things I love that have nothing to do with my my career. So that's lesson one, right? Do what you love. And I loved literature and poetry. Oh, we're teaching lessons now. Yes. Okay. I loved literature and poetry and history, but it wasn't going to better my career. But I did it anyway. But at the same time, I'm growing a company. I'm doing interior design and... Then it evolves to some wallpaper and paint, then moving lights, then maybe kitchen work. So I say, hey, you know what? I'm going to sit for the boards. I study. I sit for the boards. I was the only woman there once again. The woman administering the test comes over. She's so excited. She tells me I'm the only female she's ever met. Hard to believe. And I pass the exam and I'm a licensed general contractor by the state of California. And I start a company. I go on with that company and uh, there's no more chauvinism. I, I'm the license holder. I'm highly skilled. I'm knowledgeable. The guys show me all the respect that you would expect. I don't think they even see me as a female. And I go on with my company. Um, I, I skipped it, but back at the home builder, that's a really, really machismo industry, really conservative and very biased towards women. The women had female-oriented jobs, purchasing, sales, real estate, no women in management on the construction end of the business. And And what advice do you have for a woman today working in a male-dominated field? Because I follow this girl on TikTok that is a construction worker and she wears a pink hard hat and she posts videos of the guys making fun of her all the time. So it's definitely still a thing, of course, but tell me what your advice would be to someone going through that right now. So the advice that I would give if you're in a male-dominated industry is don't behave like you're in a male-dominated industry. Just shine and do what you do really well. Learn your trade really well and don't expect any accommodation because you're a woman. It works both ways. So if you want to be treated like an equal, you have to behave like an equal. And that means on all levels. Don't expect to be treated in stereotypical female terms on anything. And and that's it. And, And if you have the skill, from my experience, especially in the last 20 years, you will be respected. 
it's rare that you're going to come across a really macho guy who's going to disrespect you just because you're a girl. In fact, if you're in a male-dominated industry and you're really talented, most men will admire you beyond your talent. They will see you even in a grander light than you deserve to be seen in because they'll be so impressed with that talent, if that makes sense. I disagree with that. You haven't worked in a male-dominated field in a long time where you weren't in charge. So none of that is true. That's true, but I was I was in charge since 1998 until 2018. And all of my vendors, tradespeople, they treated me the same way they treated everybody else. Okay. So my business began to grow. I got the license and I evolved into 100% construction. I did a high-end remodel. I was 100% referral based. And the year that I retired my business, I was doing $2 million a year in sales, working part-time. I had clients flying me to places like the Russian River in Sonoma to do private work for them. And I was in several magazines and write-ups and I felt really satisfied and really comfortable. And I left at the height of my career by choice um, to stay home full-time after being in business almost 20 years. Something that we really didn't haven't touched on yet is the three adopted kids, which I'm sure is part of the reason your decision to stay home came because you want to be with the kids, right? Yeah, Phoebe joined us and she had some health issues. She was a 26-weeker preemie. She was about three at the time, two and a half, three, when I decided to stay home full time. And things were going great. I had a great nanny and we retired her and I just decided that I would take over and spend more time at home and kind of take on more of that responsibility. My husband did a lot of that and his career, of course, he's a doctor. He was busy. He was working four days a week. So he began working five days a week and I took over the home responsibilities and it's worked out pretty okay. Okay. So enough about you. We get that you're a boss and you've overcome life's most difficult triumphs. Let's talk about me. What do you think you have passed down to me? What of your greatest qualities do you think I have? And to keep things spicy, what of your worst qualities do you think I have? Well, I learned in psychology, start with the compliment and then give the zinger. So I'll say the best qualities first. I like the zinger first because you end on a good note rather than ending on a bad note. Wow. Talk about psychology. Where'd you go to school again? UCLA. Oh. Um, so let's see. Let's start with the good one. So, <laughs> so I think that I have definitely passed on what people would consider feminist traits. I, I don't consider myself a feminist. I'm about equality. And I, since I was about 12, my mother told me I was a feminist. Are you aware that feminism is about equality? Correct. So again, okay. hear what I said. I I didn't label myself a feminist. I didn't know what that was. But when I was 12, my mother told me that I was a feminist. She would know she was born in the 40s. Okay. I didn't know what a feminist was. I just knew that I expected equality. Okay. And my mother thought that was very unrealistic. And I remember her saying as much to me as I grew up. She even suggested to me that I not get married because I would be very unhappy because I spoke in terms of equality in marriages and in 
and domestic responsibilities and things like that, which of course that didn't exist in my mom's household. So I live that as a normal part of my life, not as a philosophy, it's just a normal part of my life. And so I think that I imparted that on you because you see a very healthy, equal relationship between your father and I, and we don't have traditional roles. If we do have tr traditional roles, it's by choice. You know, one decides to do to stay home, one decides to work, but it was a choice. And that's part of it. I think also my entrepreneurial spirit, having the confidence to go out on your own. Good one. Create your business. Keep going even when it took a couple years to launch. You can't expect immediate success. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely not giving up, pursuing your dreams, not following traditional roles. I definitely taught you that. Your decision not to go to college. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Not taking those traditional paths because I did not, of course. And I think also personal responsibility, my pregnancy and the decision I made. And, and hear me, ladies, you can make any decision that works for you. That decision happened to work for me. I'm not saying that everyone has to choose adoption. That worked for me. And it was painful. It wasn't easy. But each of us have the ability to make those choices, whatever works for that person. And let's see what else. I think uh, you're loyal. Your loyalty, you really learned. I don't know if that's a character trait that you've just, that's just who you are, but that's a good one. Compliment um, me more. I've always admired that you're a really early riser and you're really disciplined. You've always been very focused on your goals even as a young girl thank you staying on target and on track um bad traits oh okay no not bad traits um challenging traits you are very outspoken where i am as well but as i've matured matured i've learned that sometimes you just can't say shit you just have to hold it in i disagree you can exactly. literally say whatever whenever that's, and keep it going come on that's what you, yes so those are things you might mature into that a little bit and learn that oh, maybe that won't serve a purpose if i say something yeah. And that's kind of the point, too. If it serves a purpose, say it. If it's just going to kind of hurt somebody and it doesn't well, really go anywhere, let's just What do you quiet. think I am, a monster? I'm not running around hurting people with my words, but I definitely say whatever the hell I want whenever I want it because life is too short to keep it in. Yes. I'm not running around calling people ugly beasts, but no. come on. So one of my last questions for you that I think will be really helpful to the audience to get a parent's POV, when I quit my job in pain management and was like, I want to move to Europe with my ex. What were your thoughts? What was running through your mind? And it's a great time to bring it up now that Danielle is also my 17-year-old sister out of the house, but for different reasons. Like, when everyone is making these changes as a parent, is it exciting to see? Is it sad? Are you like, oh my god, don't do that? Um, I was sad but it was selfish. I was sad because I was viewing it from my perspective, which is all we can do. And I really wanted the opportunity to go to college and didn't have it until later in life. And so I wanted to live vicariously through you. And I wanted you to have that college experience, the, the fantasy that right. we all see. So I was disappointed that you wouldn't have it. Um, but that was my perspective. You didn't want it. And so I was nervous. So that's one. 
when you, and we said, you don't have to go to college, but you have to do something. So you did nursing and you were really good at it and you never missed a day and you were there exactly a year. And when you left, I was disappointed because I was worried about your future. And I was happy that you went off to Europe, happy that you were with your ex, happy that you were exploring and enjoying. And I felt that you were safe and secure and living the life. So that was good. Um, when you came back and started your business, it was a process. You know, of course there were times we had doubts there, but here's what dad and I said, if she can't launch it, if it doesn't work, she'll come to that conclusion on her own. And we had that confidence in you that we knew she's either going to really do great or she won't be able to, and she'll come, whatever she does, she'll find something else, Mm -hmm. but you rocked it. You went from one to the next and you evolved and grew and, and you diversified and you're doing extremely well and we're really impressed. You're living in a luxury building with all these amenities and it's a gorgeous apartment and you're you're on your own. Yeah, that's good feedback. I feel like that's most people, you know, especially with the life that you had and you didn't get to experience so many things. I'm sure you look at things that Danielle does or I do and you're like, damn. I wish they did it this way, or I wish I got to do that. And I'll look at Danielle and think the same thing, and Danielle will look at Phoebe and think the same thing. And I think that that's just life, but it's never too late to do anything, which is one of the reasons I love that you went back to college. You can go travel Europe tomorrow. You can go get a job. You know, you can do anything. There is no time limit. And that's what has always inspired me about you. I feel like you have broken the boundaries of when things should be done, how they should be done, and just created your own timeline and stuck to that, only compared yourself to that. And that's what creates a successful entrepreneur. Well, I I went back to school at 38, had a baby at 39, graduated at 41. And here I was in a traditional university, UCLA and UCI, a completely non-traditional student. You do not see people 30 and up at UCs and I had a great experience and yeah I mean there's so many things we haven't touched on you know when you want something in life you just have to do something every day to move towards that goal I wanted to experience my ancestral home so I went to Ireland then I said no I want to experience it a little deeper so I got a house there and I've had the house for two years now and we travel back and forth then I said I want have the security to be there as long as I want so I got my husband on the critical skills list and he's licensed to practice medicine in Ireland (laughs) and we're legal residents and we have all the status of a legal resident we have a home there and we go back and forth and it's our second home um so the reason I'm sharing this with you is I grew up in Compton I grew up in Southgate I didn't have a high school diploma and I married a doctor that went to an Ivy League university. I started a company that grew to a $2 million business. I went back to school just because I could, not because I had to. It didn't change anything in my career. I got to have children. I reunited with the son I put up for adoption. Oh my God, we literally are about to end this podcast without talking about the fact that my brother has been in my life since I was a newborn baby. He and I are 18 years apart. When he turned 18, he rekindled with our family, 
I have grown up going back and forth to see him in New York when he was living there. He has a beautiful wife. They have two kids. They call my, his kids call my parents, grandma and grandpa. My brother that my mom put up for adoption is fully in my life. And I can't believe we just breezed right over that one. And we don't have to get into it any deeper than that. You know, I met him and he was just graduating USC. So I think he was about 19 going on 20. And it was a very slow process. It's not like the movies. You run and hug each other. You're strangers. You're complete strangers. And the relationship devolved organically. And over time, through the birth of the kids, my daughters, he's an only child outside of the two sisters that he has through me, you know, coming to birthday parties, taking family vacations, it slowly developed. And sadly, uh, his adoptive father died when he was about 22 and his mother died before he was 30. So now we literally are his only family. Natalie and Danielle don't know a time that he didn't, wasn't with us. Right. And yeah, I, I mean, the universe has given me more than I could ever even imagine. I have a strong premonition that you're going to be back for another episode just because this was such a story and this is already such a long episode, but I love you. I'm glad we got to do this. I feel like we've honestly haven't really had a sit down talk like this before with no interruptions, which sounds kind of ridiculous, but a lovely little life story on this beautiful afternoon. And I'd love to come back and maybe next time we can focus on one specific area because my life is so rich. <laughs> and we can talk about small things, you know, where I've learned great lessons in life or different things. You know, g going to school, um, reuniting with my son, that feeling, that awkwardness, all of that. But yeah, yeah, there's so much to talk about. Um, there's much more. We'll be back for another episode. Say goodbye to the viewers. Goodbye, viewers. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you loved it, leave a review below. I announced this on my Instagram story the other day, but when the Peony Podcast gets to 100 reviews, I'm going to pick one of my followers to be a guest on the podcast and share about their brand and their business and interview them. So leave your reviews. Have a beautiful day, night, wherever you're at. Do something your future self will thank you for. We love you. Thank you for listening to the Peony Podcast with my mother. And we'll see you in the next episode.